there, this is Jala. We wanted to let you know that we have released tiers on coffee. Perks include shoutouts on our shows, access to show notes, blog posts, and reviews with more in the wings as we work out further incentives. We also have a new goal. Once we reach 1.5k, we will release a new podcast called Put That Cookie Down Now, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie show covering every Arnie movie chronologically. We really want to make this show, but the extra work, materials, etc. means that we need some help getting there. All subscriptions and one-shot donations apply toward the goal. So if you want to hear this content, make it happen at coffee.com slash fireheartmedia. Big thanks to our patrons Christian, Not Rookie, and Dog Nozzle for their generous support. Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their folkloric origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm your host for this episode, Cameron. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by our esteemed founder, Dave. Dave, how are you? Um, I'm here. I'm actually, I'm real excited, and usually I'm really tired, but I'm tired and excited, so it, yes. that, it just canceled each other out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm here, and I'm present, and I'm ready to talk about the stuff we got lined up for this episode. Excellent. I'm also very excited. Uh, and we have today, joining us for the first time, uh, a new host, which is Matt. Matt, introduce yourself. How are you? Hi there. Um, I'm good. I, uh, boy, I don't even know what to say about myself. I'm up in my icy stronghold in northern Vermont. I am excited to talk about uh, what we got on the docket today. And um, I don't know. I guess that's it. I'm ready to yeah, go. That, that's plenty. Welcome to it. Uh, so we, we have something today that's, uh, actually a decent bit different from our usual fare. We're not examining any specific piece of media. Uh, we've not all examined the same stuff either. Uh, indeed, today we have a buffet of, uh, it was going to be four different viewpoints, unfortunately. Leonard's got a bit of a sore throat, so he can't join us. Uh, so it's going to be three different viewpoints on, uh, cryptids. Just, I'm going to assume two thirds of which are from the Americas. Uh, just based on the location of the other two hosts here. I don't think they recognize borders, but yeah. Yeah, uh, mine <laughs> have to because they, they literally can't get to other sort of land masses. All right, proved <laughs> wrong immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the phantom cats of Australia will remain Australian phantom cats. Well, look, they by just went through swim. Akarta in the center <laughs> of, the, of the world. Oh, no, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, oh, we're, we're, right, we're in yes. the monsterverse. Yeah. Hollow, yeah. hollow Earth. I mean, I would love put this out here. I would love for there to be like a dense cavern jungle tunnel just filled to bursting with South American and African big cats that just spontaneously appear in Australia is the explanation for my bit of this. But uh, uh I mean, truth stranger than fiction. So we'll see. <laughs> so uh I'm going to kick this off and. uh as as mentioned there, I'm going to be talking about the Phantom Cats of Australia. Uh, this is one of the really interesting cryptids because it's just a cryptid that is a normal animal, but where it is not meant to be at all. Uh, 
<laughs> this is actually a very common sort of worldwide phenomenon. I've narrowed in on Australia because of uh, not any personal experience with phantom cats, but uh, the the Australian perspective I can bring here. Uh, but phantom cats appear all over the world in Britain, uh, across Europe, across Asia, um, mostly in places where one would not expect to find a, a big cat, you know, something that's sort of puma-sized and up. Uh, very specifically, in the, in the case of phantom cats of Australia, they are mostly sighted throughout sort of southeastern Australia, a, a lot in New South Wales and South Australia. Uh, and uh, they are potentially real, mostly because the New South Wales government has commissioned four investigations into the presence of big cats in New South Wales and keeps an open file uh, documenting basically all the sightings. <laughs> Which is really fun um, to know that a state government is like, yeah, no, this is this is something we should actually keep an eye on. There's something going on here. Uh, and the most fun part about the big cat origin stories, uh, the big cat phantom cat stories in Australia, is the origin story. Which, um, you know, there's the usual: are uh, they escaped from a zoo or from a conservation centre and things like that? Uh, but the primary thread is that uh, during World War Two. <laughs> Uh, a U.S. military division stayed in Sydney at a military base and had two live pumas as their mascot. Uh, and I don't know if either of you know about Australian quarantine. Uh, they are renowned for being harsh on uh, unexpected animals. Uh, I believe the, the most recent famous stories like Johnny Depp's dogs five or oh, I remember so years ago where... They went, he brought his dogs for a shoot in Australia and animal control went, Hey, you either got to kill those or ship them back to America like now. <laughs> and so, uh, the Australian wow. quarantine officials did not, uh, did not take kindly to two large felines being taken within Australian borders by the U.S. military and told them to get rid of them. And the U.S. soldiery, uh, in all their glory took the loophole, the euphemism of get rid of them to instead of shooting the cats, just threw them into the nearest bushes. Uh, <laughs> and off they went. Um, now obviously that's never been fully substantiated because this is a cryptid. It's meant to be cryptic. Uh, but I can say in ever since the sort of late 1940s, there have been continuous sightings of large cats throughout the area uh, and I'm going to focus in on two very famous in Australia phantom cats so we're going to start with the one related to that which is the Blue Mountain Panther or the Lithgow Panther now over the last uh, at this point 25 years I should say there's been over 500 sightings of a large cat in the Blue Mountain area and uh, and there's been quite a number of encounters. There's even been some footage, which is pretty exciting. Uh, so let's go. I got, I got some bits and bobs here. In 2002, a teenager in Kenthurst claimed to have been attacked by a very large cat, uh, and presented at a hospital with very deep lacerations, uh, across his body, which claws. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> just say, could be, could be anything. Maybe cause. Mm. Uh, they did do a study from 2001 to 2003 on a variety of scat and hair samples from the, 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 the Mossvale rural land region. 
and uh, the veterinarian in charge that, concluding that these are likely from a big cat, but we cannot conclusively prove that. Uh, no, no clear DNA evidence, I guess, but it's the same kind of fur, it's the same kind of scat, in the same kind of areas, that kind of thing. Uh, and there is a particular group, the Gros Vale group, which essentially collects information on these sightings. And since 1998, uh, say that they have averaged 20 to 30 sightings per year in the Blue Mountains area of large cats. Uh, let's see. In 2011, a pet alpaca was killed in Bilpin, uh, sporting seven centimeter, that's, uh, about three inch deep puncture wounds in its skull and a ranger's report and analysis indicated that a large cat was the likely cause of this and then we get to 2020 which is when things started picking up presumably because we were going out and stamping around the bushland uh, <laughs> uh, footage captured a big cat um, I have had a quick look at it it's not captured very well uh, captured a big cat on the grounds of the Sydney Adventist Hospital in Warunga uh, just sort of ranging around through the bushes and that kind of thing. Uh, but later on in 2020 in April, a series of large paw tracks were found and documented on a hiking path in the Blue Mountains. Uh, so this one is essentially full circumstantial evidence. We have a bunch of sightings directly by people, uh, who say, yeah, we saw a big cat, we saw yada, yada, yada. Uh, but any footage is the, 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 it's sort of the classic Bigfoot far away, something moving off in the distance, uh, scat and hair can't conclusively be traced to a cat, and the attacks, while likely a big cat, can't, again, be 100% confirmed to be, say, a puma or a cougar, because we don't have the right kind of samples to measure up in that kind of case. But it's it's a very pervasive, and I think is sort of emblematic of the classic style of a uh, phantom cat cryptid, which is fun. It's neat to know that uh, we we have room for such things. Um, now, as a really clear note, Australia has had for a long time a problem with cats in that cats were never meant to be here. And I say this as a cat lover. My cat lives inside. Uh, the Australian ecosystem, in particular animals, not adapted for this. There is a massive feral cat population throughout the, uh, the entire country. Uh, and over the years, uh, I didn't end up putting this in notes, but I, I do have a source for it uh, somewhere. Over the years, uh, some studies have been done, and some of these cats do get really big, but are technically feral domestic cats. Uh, they can get up to one and a half meters in length, including the tail, which is about five feet, which that's a big cat, uh, but it's not quite a capital B, capital C big cat. However, the most famous phantom cat tale of Australia is thoroughly well documented and has physical preserved evidence that you can see to this day i'm going to talk about the tantanula tiger Yay, iteration. Um, you, yeah <laughs> look this thing up please please yeah <laughs> immediately look this thing up and see it because um this is a cryptid that we have caught badly taxidermied and put on display <laughs> Please look this, this guy up. It's unreal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I was gonna, uh, I was gonna no, ask. Yeah, please, uh, please. Yeah, it, like there, so there are no native big cat species in Australia. Forgive my ignorance. But, yeah, no, there, like, there are not. Um, 
In fact, we don't have any large mammalian predators at all. Uh, the largest mammalian predator living today in Australia is the dingo, which is sort of a medium-sized dog. Right, yeah. Basically, it's descended from Asian dog breeds that came over 40,000 years ago. Uh, we did used to have big cats, sort of, which is fun. Uh, we had what were called marsupial lions. Uh, which... Go on. <laughs> So, so indigenous Australians have lived on the continent for somewhere between 40 and 120,000 years. Evidence points closer towards the long end of that scale these days. Uh, and the fossil record indicates that they coincided with like the height of megafauna in Australia. So we had wombats the size of Volkswagens, for example. We had Diprotodon, which was very cool. Uh, but also at the time, uh, reptiles were still doing fine but marsupials had really taken over they were the only mammals in the entire country uh and kangaroos some some kangaroos said you know what i'm tired of this eating grass and running away from everything stick we got going i want meat uh and the marsupial line evolved alongside kangaroos it's a it's a marsupial uh it was a an arboreal predator uh sort of one and a half to two meters in length probably weighed in the region of about 100 kilograms when fully grown. And it was just, what if we built a lion, but it also had a pouch and gave birth yeah. to underdeveloped, underdeveloped young. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, these things are pretty cool. I, was just, I say uh, were pretty cool. Well, let me see if I can find one, actually. Why are we Jurassic Parking these image. things? Like, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be so much cooler. Uh, so I'm just gonna drop in the Discord quickly a a sketch of what a marsupial line probably looked like. So if it'll upload, there we go. So imagine that it's about six feet long. It's about three or four feet at the shoulder. Uh, <laughs> it's friendly. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, lion is like really generous with this thing. It's, it's it was the of... ecological niche. <laughs> Verminy, badgery, mm. yeah, some something or other, but yeah, man. um, I, I think lion probably came from the actual skeleton, which does look much more lionish. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, once we started going, no, this was a marsupial, and thus started drawing it as a marsupial, it started looking a lot less liony. Um, it looks like a naked mole rat if it was far but, too large and a little yeah. bit. Furred. Yeah. yeah. Not quite naked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this, this was the apex predator, well, the apex non-reptilian predator of Australia for a good 200,000 years or something. And then, uh, humans came along and suddenly it wasn't, which is a, a very classic story. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is survived today by distant cousin, the Tasmanian devil. Very distant cousin. Oh, I is, can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, just a tiny little bulldog-shaped thing uh, that is prone to infectious cancer, which is unfortunate for it. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the closest thing, and this will come up in the story of the Tantanula tiger, uh, that could have been around to have been seen by white settlers was actually the Tasmanian tiger, which uh, or the thylacine, to give it its proper name, which I'm sure you've all heard of. There's a Warner Brothers character, uh, <laughs> Tazid tiger. Um, oh, wait, no, yes. he's a Tasmanian devil. Brain. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Isn't there seen... a video game, Tie the Tasmanian Tiger? Am I, That's am the I... one I was thinking of. You're yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and the Tasmanian tiger was the last marsupial predator besides the, the, the devil was the last marsupial predator on the mainland of Australia. And of course, when colonizers came and did their thing, it ended up getting wiped out because it did eat sheep. And, uh, thylacines are very awesome. I'm very sad they're not, they're maybe not around. I can't say are not around because sort of the third wheel of big cat, phantom cat sightings in Australia is there is a persistent group of people who are convinced the Tasmanian tiger is still somewhere in Tasmania. And it's, I, I really, I really hope three. that <laughs> it's been howling three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the thylacine is very cool. It's sort of a large dog sized four, four legged predator. Uh, but the reports indicate that when it wanted to go fast, it literally hopped like a kangaroo because it still had these spring tendons in its rear leg. So it was actually faster for it to hop. Uh, and it could also open its mouth slightly over 90 degrees. Which is terrifying. Uh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> it, it had a big mouth that opened very, very wide, so which why it was why it was called the tiger. In addition to being striped, it was because Australian scary animals predator. just gotta outdo scary on like yeah. everything else. Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. oh yeah, your cat can bite things. <laughs> sure, ours can just dislocate its jaw and swallow your kid whole. No problem. Yeah. 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 Um, it did all this while having a couch and uh, having a couch having a pouch. And rearing uh, young, cooler than I thought. Know. He's got his own place. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> got his own, got his own crib. Um, <laughs> carrying tools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look marsupials. I got to put this out here. Are all kinds of messed up, and I kind of take it for granted that they are the normal mammal for me to interact with outside of like cats and dogs. Um, yeah, give birth to severely underdeveloped. Young, they basically live birth of a fetus rather than a baby, and then it develops in the pouch. Uh, wombats have cubic poop, uh, which aids in all kinds of tunneling things. Koalas actively poison themselves to survive. Uh, and at one point, these things were running around killing things to eat. <laughs> now, really? now they're all just all calm. I mean, kangaroos will still kill people. It happens every now and then, and, uh, they, they do like to drown dogs. Uh, but apart from that, they're mostly peaceful the herbivores. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like, you know, a thing we all know. Kangaroos love drowning dogs. Like They don't like dogs, and if a kangaroo is next to a source of water, it will deliberately act injured to lure the dog into the shallows, and then it will grab the dog and drown the dog. Um, wow. I just lost yeah. a lot of respect for kangaroos, man. <laughs> they, they, are, they are mean little things. They are, they yes. are marsupials. Brain is I not thought... big smart. It has room for eat, run, and kill thing. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were just like buff, like standing deer, but I guess not. They're a little oh, malicious. Oh, no. They're malicious. And uh, they yeah. will drop kick you while still remaining on their tails, which is always fun. Jeez. The only animal who can do a drop kick without falling over. <laughs> what do you know? Um, yeah. Got to watch out for kangaroos. Uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. Reptiles have always been the apex predators of Australia because we have the, the goddamn saltwater crocodile and things like the parentifa on land, uh, reptile hunters. But, uh, we did used to have mammalian hunters, which were very cool. Uh, and we had one all the way up until the late 1800s, which is yeah. the Tantanula tiger. Get back on track with that. Um, sure. Also, I totally mistyped in, in the document. It says, first documented in November 1981. That's meant to be November 1891. Uh, this, this is pre-20th oh, century cryptid. Like, oh. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm only, sorry. Only 40 years ago. No, no. That sounds weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, uh, about 30 Ks northwest, uh, sorry, uh, maybe 20 ish miles northwest of Mount Gambia. I'm going to be giving some conversions for the yeah, American that a freedom no units, please. Never use, uh, the non standard. <laughs> <laughs> um, just keep on using metric, it's it's the boy, it's yeah, the, way, the future. Yeah, oh, exactly. I got feelings about that, but that's a different podcast. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but basically, yeah, this this centers in an area around Mount Gambia. Mount Gambia is a lovely place. Uh, it's where my school used to do jazz band excursions, uh, as, as trips really, because you have to fly to get there. Uh, lovely place in New South Wales. Great, love it. Uh Indigenous shearers working at a property in German Creek, uh, one night told, basically ran up, panicked, and told the owner they'd spotted a strange animal that they could not recognize, sort of stalking the edge of the property. And when this happened two nights in a row, the owner went out the next morning to look for any evidence and found a series of tracks with the paw prints, which was, which were decidedly dog-like. Uh, the paw prints were about 10 centimeters or four inches across. So there's a big paw to start with, uh, relatively big animal. But uh, there wasn't any reported sightings for another nine months or so when a sheep station manager in the German Creek area was told by an indigenous person who worked there uh, that once again there was a strange animal stalking the property. And then the next year in the nearby town of Tantanula, is where we get the name of the creature, uh, Walter Taylor and his wife were driving their horse and buggy home one night uh, when they saw a strange animal slink across the road. Uh, it was described as about 65 centimeters in so- shoulder, which is two foot two inches, and about one and a half meters long, including the tail, which is five feet flat. Uh, it was described as brown and striped, which does sort of line up with the thylacine, sort of in that brown region with the with the striping across the back. Just saying. Uh, from this point onwards, several property owners began to report that sheep were being killed and devoured, leaving bones and fleece behind. Uh, another even claiming that a bullock had been killed and half-eaten from the back first. And uh, at this point, it took off and became a media sensation because it's 1890, 1892 and there's nothing else to talk about. Uh, and it was quickly dubbed the Tantanula Tiger, uh, presumably because... First off, the predatory activities, and second off, the only visual description included stripes. Um, we weren't a creative people. <laughs> Still aren't. Um, then we fast forward to May 1983, and a man named John Livingston, who will appear a few more times throughout this tale, uh, managed to raise a party of about two dozen people to start hunting this thing because it was continually killing his sheep, and he was getting pretty tired of it. Um, this hunt was a complete failure. They spent two days out beating the bush, and all they managed to find when the dog started acting up was a black swan on its nest. Um, <laughs> really, really just a great job by everyone involved. What if it was the swan, though? What a story. I mean, the swans, uh, I mean, swans are universally mean, but black swans yep. in Australia are very mean. So, yeah, because you got, you gotta just out, upstage everything. <laughs> like, yeah, no. I mean, the look, pattern. I get it. My my little brother was nearly unduly circumcised by one when it was five. <laughs> oh so my god! It it went straight for it. <laughs> they are mean. 
They do not give warnings beyond a hiss. <laughs> should have done, should have done swans and geese. Good cryptid. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the word for swan, God, it's either swan or goose in Thai mm. is literally translated to duck snake because they're oh, like, man. Yeah, yeah, it's both. I of love these that. Yeah. It's a snake du- and a duck. It's yeah. A duck snake. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. So that hunt was a complete failure. Um, and of course, the killings continued because they literally had done nothing about it at that point. Um, <laughs> in September 1983, William Johns of Vulcan Park was awoken at 2 a.m. by his dogs and chickens screaming and barking and found an 11 centimeter wide, which is about 4.2, 4.4 inches, uh, paw print. Uh, he took plaster casts and sent them to the Adelaide Zoo. Uh, where comparison with a tiger paw print and a St. Bernard paw print gave the conclusion that this was likely a dog of some kind and not a big cat. Um, so, hey, here's our hot twist. The the most famous phantom cat in Australia is a dog. Because uh, we have to do everything different down here. <laughs> I mean, if you've looked up the image, you already knew this. But, yeah, uh, at this point, now look at the image. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) It's it's such a good boy, this guy. It's absolutely beastly. Um, And then in October 1983, uh, just a month later, the beast was slain. Uh, Kenny Matheson from the nearby town of Millicent uh, had lost over 200 sheep on his property in that year alone and ended up poisoning the beast, which turned out to be an enormous feral pig. Jokes, it's not a dog, it's a pig. We're going, we're going multiple ways on this. Um, he poisoned it by taking a dead sheep and coating it with a mix of flour, sugar, and phosphorus. Um, and reported that it had killed about 200 sheep on his property, had skinned one of his horses from the chest to the knee. Uh, and he hadn't been able to catch it because it sheltered in scrublands and tea, uh, tea trees by day and only came out to hunt at night. Uh, it was, by all accounts, an absolutely enormous animal. It was 2.7 meters, which is 9 feet in length, and had uh, 23 centimeter tusks, which is 9 inches. Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a big pig. Um, feral pigs, also a massive problem in Australia, actually. Yeah, here too, <laughs> man, but they, everything's They're all just over. bigger and meaner They're, there. They yeah. made some movies about those guys. Yeah, uh, actually, if anyone's seen Hunt for the Wilder People, there's a, there's a big feral pig in that. Uh, say no more. That's a good movie. People should watch that. Um, <clears throat> so the beast was slain. In typical fashion, the attacks did not stop. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I mentioned pre-show in our green room that this is sort of the Australian beast of Jevadan, but we value, uh, sheep more than children's lives. And it really feels like that. There's so many instances of, the beast is slain. Uh, actually, we have not slain the beast. Uh, <laughs> it's always fun to me. It's like, yeah, we got it. It's this big pig. It's a big pig. And then like a week later, it's like a bunch of sheep turned up dead again. It wasn't the giant pig. Um, <clears throat> moving uh, quite, a, quite a while forward to August 1984, John Livingston's nephew, uh, while on his uncle's property, saw, saw a flock of sheep in distress and saw a creature dragging a full-grown tree, uh, full-grown sheep into the tree line. 
Um, his description matched that given by Walter Taylor and his wife two years earlier. It was a large brown animal with striping across the back and face around 65 to 75 centimeters at the shoulder and 1.3 to 1.5 meters in length. Uh, really sort of corrob, first off, corroborating a story from two years ago. Pretty good. Saw the animal in broad daylight dragging a full grown sheep into, into the shrubs and trees. Pretty good evidence. Uh, the police, finally decided to get involved. <laughs> uh, they found drag marks, bloods, and tufts of bloody wool, as well as a 13-centimeter, which is 5.2-inch wide paw print, uh, which was also quite deep in the mud and muck there, uh, indicating this is a large, heavy animal. Uh, from here, between 90, uh, 1894 and 95, the tiger was seen roughly once a month, uh, mostly around Duck Hole Swamp in the German Creek area, and trackers had no luck trying to catch it. Finally, we come to 21st of August, 1895. Uh, so the tiger has been around for about four years at this point. Uh, Thomas Donovan, a crack shot hunter, had been hunting the beast uh, on properties near his own area of residence. And after sightings near Mount Salt, he and his partner, William Taylor, arrived in the area and began their hunt the next day, about 6.5 kilometers south of the mountain. Near dawn, they saw a flock of sheep in distress 300 meters away as a large dog-like uh, creature harried the flock, singling out sheep to kill and drag away. Uh, they crawled to within 90 meters, at which point they took a shot with a Winchester rifle, hitting it straight in the chest, and then it ran nearly 200 meters back towards the scrub before falling dead. It had been shot through the heart, <laughs> which impressive. Uh, <clears throat> it looked to be a really weird dog. <laughs> Donovan yeah. took the body. Yeah, yeah. Really <laughs> weird dog. Donovan took the body to Mount Gambia and immediately handed it off to the local taxidermist. Um, everyone sort of crowded around the store for a full day waiting to see what would come out. And, uh, <laughs> please refer to the picture again. <laughs> uh, he was not a particularly good taxidermist. Um, <laughs> Examination revealed that it was not actually a dog or dingo or potential hybrid as some of the theories had been when the body was first brought in, uh, but it was likely a European or Syrian wolf, uh, which no one's really sure how a wolf got to Australia. Um, it's a bit of a mystery. Yeah, no one's quite sure how a wolf managed to get into the Australian bushland, uh, out into the public and rural community. The... General consensus is one of two things. Either it escaped from a wrecked ship, unlikely, or it escaped from the Victoria Zoo at some point in the past. Somewhat plausible. Uh, <laughs> either way, it was about 90 centimeters tall, uh, that's three feet, and measured one and a half meters in length, five feet, uh, with a skull 25 centimeters, that's 10 inches in length. Uh, it had dark brown fur along its back with fawn and gray sides and belly, and yellow furry legs. Its paw prints were much closer to a na native wolf, uh, natural wolf, I should say, than a dog. Uh, however, a bunch of witnesses claimed uh, that the creature did not match with what they had seen, and claimed that the true Tantanula tiger was still out there. It's unlikely to, that the real tiger was out in the community at that time, uh, but the descriptions, as I mentioned earlier, do kind of match a thylacine, which were thought to be extinct on the mainland at the time, uh, but potentially there was one or two still swanning around, at least for a little while. 
Uh, on the day that the taxidermied animal was first displayed, a youth in a nearby area spotted a striped animal watching, matching the early descriptions. Uh, sightings continued for the next few years, but died down as the 20th century began. However, through the latter half of the first decade of uh, the 20th century, sort of 1905 to 1910, sheep killings began again. Yay. <laughs> the beast is back. Uh, hundreds of sheeps being killed in the sheep, not sheeps, uh, being killed in the lead up to 1910. When there's no Uh, gosh. Uh, in December 1910, three snipe hunters, uh, noticed a dreadful smell while hunting in the Lake Bonnie area. Uh, in a thick stand of tea trees, they found someone had carved a tunnel and then a clearing and found a slaughtering ground. Dozens of freshly slain sheep and lambs, as well as rotting carcasses and flayed skins, adorned the clearing. And a clearing, uh, another clearing hidden behind it, contained another 42 carcasses. Uh, an uproar about the Tantaloo, Tanta, uh, Tanta, oh my god, there, there, there. <laughs> the Tantanula tiger began again. Uh, and about a week later, a local man, Robert Charles Edmondson, was arrested. Soon, a total of six hidden slaughterhouses and shearing stations were found in the area. Edmondson had been stealing sheep from local properties and selling the skins. He was sentenced to six years hard labor. And that's uh, pretty much the story of the Tantanula tiger. It was, first of all, never a cat. Australia's most famous phantom cat, not a cat. It was variously potentially a marsupial, a dog or wolf, a boar, and then a man right at the end. It's <laughs> it's, it's a really wild ride. It it's an idea more than a cryptid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's behind the mask. Right. That's it, exactly. <laughs> the only thing Anyone that needs could be, to be the behind the mask the is that dog. <laughs> oh, this is a really, really shitty Australian superhero where it's just that dog's face is like a mask. <laughs> A big furry cape. It just shows I up and it's like, the hey, are you the, tiger. are you the bad guy from Saw? No, I'm obviously <laughs> the Tantanula Tiger. <laughs> so, yeah, I had a lot of fun researching this. It really warmed the cockles of my heart to find we had our own little weird murder mystery, but with sheep going on in the late 1800s. <laughs> Uh, it it really it really does feel like the whole the whole beast of Jevadan thing, but much lower stakes, <laughs> and and not a lion. <laughs> yeah, not a lion or a hyena or, or a weird wolf. It's just some some weird dog. Um. <laughs> yeah, and livestock <laughs> mutilation not linked to aliens. So yeah, no, we don't get a lot of that. Apparently, our, our shit's weird enough as it is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. All right, yeah, that that was my uh my little treat eyes on Phantom Cats of Australia. Uh who wants to go next? Wonderful. I can go take ahead. it. Go sure. ahead and go, Matt. Yeah. Um awesome. I got a fun one. Uh Yeah. Uh the Lake Champlain monster champ or champy uh if you're local. Mm -hmm. Uh I'm going to Champy is just always what we've called it, so I'm going to go with yeah. Champy. Um is uh, something I've grown up with here. Uh, Lake Champlain is is big. Um, it was uh, at one point uh, applying for Great Lakes status, but when the Great Lakes would mm. uh, have to share their tax breaks uh. from the federal government with Lake Champlain, 
no can do. But it's like it's a huge it's a huge body of water. Um, yeah. Uh, I grew up on the New York side of Lake Champlain, and now I live on the Vermont side of Lake mm-hmm. Champlain, uh, up in the north. Um, sort of the uh, New York, Vermont, Canada border area. Actually, my family's from the town of Champlain. Oh. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this guy has just kind of like, every time there's something kind of unknown or weird happening on the lake, it's just like, oh, that's Champy. He's he's doing something, <laughs> right? Um, we got like a local minor league baseball team uh, called the Vermont Lake Monsters that mm-hmm. are, you know, named after Champy. They got a big, you know, guy in a suit dancing around as champy there's just champy stuff everywhere uh so it was like kind of just uh i don't know uh it's weird to think of it as a cryptid because it's just like such a mm. local thing but uh it, it really uh i guess it's it i after researching it for a while it goes back for a long time um mm. in uh the lake is named after samuel de champlain uh french explorer who uh Weirdly, looks I look a lot like this guy. Um, <laughs> when I had long hair, uh, like I don't I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, I'm my I'm of Quebecois origin and everything, so mm. you know that's just how it's going to be. Um, but uh, when he was up here, um, he had uh, Iroquois guides, um, most likely a Mohawk, and uh, in his journals they talked about fish uh, getting up to about ten feet in size they're probably talking about um uh long nose gar and mm-hmm. uh lake surgeon uh if you've ever seen a diamondback surgeon or a lake sturgeon uh they look like dinosaurs um they have like really cool scaly backs and they're they're, they're just huge um yeah. dead surgeon have been like you know called cryptids for a long time and mm-hmm. uh if you've ever caught a gar uh i i fish out <laughs> on these lakes a lot gar are weird looking fish um, yeah, I've seen those. They're yeah. cool. Uh hook nose gar are weird. Uh long nose gar are weird. They're they're all weird looking fish. Very sea monstery. They've got that like um kind of like a really long pointy beak with little tiny teeth. Um yeah, and they can get pretty big. I don't know I don't ten feet seems huge, but mm. you know, who knows? Back then everything was huge. Um Yeah. People were smaller <laughs> and we fished less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't stuff in the lake, you know, um, destroying everything. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, so and then uh, there was like an apocryphal story that it was Samuel de Champlain that that had the first sighting of like Champy. Um, but it was actually uh, in 1819 near Port Huron, which is south of here, um, in a place called Bulaga Bay. On the New York side, a guy just... The only record is him being called Captain Crumb. I tried to find anything else about this dude. <laughs> and his name is Captain Crumb, which is like that. He's running from something. That's not his real name. Um, Incredible. But he uh, claims to have seen a 187-foot... Uh, I don't know how he was that specific. Um, one, account, <laughs> one account, he says 200 feet, but maybe a little less. And that was a direct mm. quote from this dude, quote-unquote, <laughs> Captain Crumb. Uh, but 187-foot sea serpent with a horse-like head. Um, and that cool. sighting, yeah, <laughs> that sighting at Bulwaga uh, is, like, what started the, like, everyone has seen this thing. Um, Bulwaga has a sign, uh, like an official historical sign, listing all of the sightings. 
Um, mm. I couldn't get a great photo of it without like people standing in front of the sign. The best one I could get was from a CBS news source, actually. Uh-huh. And um, but uh, yeah, like tons and tons and tons of people have seen this, but not a lot of evidence about it. Um, like plesiosaur kind of looking thing. Uh, it's been called America's Loch Ness monster. Um, in uh, 1883, P.T. Barnum offered the equivalent of fifty thousand dollars. Uh, for the hide of Champy. Um, <laughs> and uh, he offered that twice, actually. Uh, 1883 and in 1887. Um, mm. And uh, now, because of that, there's a New York State law that protects uh, Champy as uh, an endangered species from would-be trophy hunters. Uh, which, I guess, so don't go skin in that thing if you find it. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, in uh, 2019, uh, Plattsburgh installed a, an official historical marker. Um, Plattsburgh is the town I grew up in on the other side of the lake, uh, mm-hmm. like celebrating Champy and all the sightings and stuff. Uh, and they put that historical marker uh, right at the beach where like I would go fishing all the time. I would go, uh, I, I'm when I got dive certified, I'd dive there sometimes. Um, uh, I went spearfishing there. Uh, it's where everybody goes to like windsurf and stuff. Uh, or, or it's where you go to get drunk in high school. It's just like that beach, like <laughs> is a beach I grew up on, and now uh, it's got a historical marker for Champy there, which is pretty cool. Um, and when I say beach, it it's not sand. It is just shale and rocks, and um, yeah, it's <laughs> not super like hospitable, but it's a wonderful place to swim. Um, hmm. but uh, yeah, so like locals are like all over it. Um, if you talk to pretty much anybody around here who fishes or, um, back when the lake would actually freeze in the winter, uh, would snowmobile in the lake or things like that, uh, everybody's got a champy story. Um, I was trying to collect them from people, but so many people would, uh, just sort of crib their stories and it obviously wasn't champy, but it's this. Mm -hmm. And that just seems to be the common thing. Um. But everyone points to this one photo uh, that was taken in 1977 uh, by this woman named uh, Sandra Mancy. She took it a little bit further south um, uh, from where I am uh, in Burlington Bay. She was a little bit further south, um, north of Bulaga Bay, though. Uh, and it is the like famous photo. Uh, it's online. If you look up her picture of Champy, there it is. Um, it's sort of um, doing the Bigfoot thing, where it's leaving mm. but it's kind of turning back and looking at you yeah um half out of the water um she could not verify exactly where she was standing when she took the picture um and the exact location and time and all that she couldn't verify anything so when people try to ask for proof so they could go there she could never give that so it was kind of discredited after a while and when she uh, finally disclosed like where she was camping at the time. They found that the lake there was no deeper than 14 feet, so mm. it was most likely a log sticking up. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but there has been like a bunch of other stuff that people have seen that are like, oh no, this is this is proof. There have been fin marks on the land that are just like way too big to be anything else. Um, on small islands and beaches. Uh, that a lot of people say are snapping turtles, and we get snapping turtles here that are the size of, like, manhole covers. 
huge. They, yeah, they they look yeah. like dinosaurs. I mean, yeah, we've all seen snapping turtles. They're they're monsters. But um, so there's a lot of casts of that and stuff floating around. Um, but it wasn't until uh, 2003 um, there was this uh, research institute called Fauna Communications, um, and they were working with the Discovery Channel on a program uh, that was looking for cryptids and stuff like that. Um, and it was like 2003 was that time right before Discovery Channel became like, like, like the really bad, non-reputable. This isn't information, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, like before the fake mermaid documentary, when it was just like, oh, it's like I don't know, a show where you learn how things are assembled and two guys are building motorcycles and like, what is this channel? And uh, <laughs> you, and then Wild Discovery was there, so you'd learn about animals and blah blah blah. But um. It was right about that time they did a, a special on different cryptids and like different ways to hunt for them. And Fauna Communications um, did that. Uh, oh, I forget what it is called. It's when they they tow a microphone and they try to record uh, different sounding? sounds. Yeah, basically. Uh, yes, but yeah. Yes, but not that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um. They uh, recorded some sounds that sounded like they said beluga whales or dolphins, but none of those can live in Lake Champlain. Um, yeah. Dolphins have known to go up the St. Lawrence, uh, which is a, uh, you know, Lake Champlain obviously connects to that, but um, they can't survive outside of brackish water. And Lake Champlain is, is mm. fresh water. So it, it couldn't have been anything like that. And so there's actual audio of something clicking and squealing and doing whatever in the water, but when they went back to try to find the source or to re-record it, it's never been able to be duplicated. Um, and that's about the, the hardest evidence out there that there's there's something in the water. Um, mm. But it is... Uh, it's just kind of a local phenomenon to the point where I've had two encounters that uh, may have been champion encounters or may not. You always have to couch them. But the fun is believing, right? Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first one was <laughs> when I was uh, pretty young, um, probably 11 or 12. My grandmother would come visit uh, from Minnesota, and she'd stay with us for the summer. And she gave us all disposable cameras to take pictures all summer. And then she would develop them all, and she'd make a photo album of you know the summer that we spent together. Mm. And uh, going, uh, there's a ferry that runs from uh, Cumberland Head, which is uh, where I grew up to Grand Isle, which is on the Vermont side. Um, and that's how you get from New York to Vermont up here. Um, there's a bridge further up, but for convenience, you take the boat. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun. You drive your car on a boat, you get to about 15 minutes to get across the lake. Um, uh, you get to run around on a boat as a kid and, you know, smell the diesel fumes and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I was always looking for Champy, so I was like ready for this. And I was telling my grandmother about Champy. We were ready to see Champy. And all of a sudden, I see all these people piling to one side of the boat. Everybody's just getting out of their cars, and they're going to one side of the boat. So I go to the side of the boat. We look over, and this massive green thing is just floating next to us. It's huge. It's semi-formless, but it's sort of in a linear shape. And um, it's not, like, at the surface of the water. It's about five feet below. Um, but everybody's looking at it, and I snap a picture. And I uh, had it for years, and it got lost in a move. But uh, it was just all these people on the side of the boat looking at this green thing. It was like one of those, like, 
like as a kid, I thought this was going to be it. This is proof champions. No way, it's not. And so, um, you know, we uh, we we land at the ferry dock and stuff. And uh, my grandmother, who is a uh, doesn't believe in any of that, uh, <laughs> asked one of the crew members uh, letting us off, like, you know, oh, you know, we all saw Champy. You know, have you guys ever seen Champy? And they go, "That's an algal bloom. Uh, we've been driving through that thing all day." <laughs> <laughs> so. That was the best I got at the time. Uh, well. uh, was and I'm and, and I, it's still I'm like no no way that's Champy I knew it I saw it I have a picture I've got proof. <laughs> um, but I'm sad I can't share that with you guys today. And the second time was something that I haven't been able to explain yet. Um, mm. this was in let's see here I think 2003. I was out ice fishing on Cumberland Bay, which is the same bay that the ferry goes through. Um. And uh, and the ice there was maybe a foot or more thick. Like, you know, you could drive your truck out on it, no problem. Um, and I was out with uh, one of my uh, my friends, a neighbor. Uh, we were, you know, just poor kids, so we didn't really have a ton of gear. Um, we, you know, hand-dug the hole with a spud. Uh, we didn't even have an auger. We had to chip through the ice to get through. And we were just sitting there fishing. And about 100 yards away, Something smashes through the ice. It's foot-thick ice. Something smashes mm. through and breaches. I don't see anything. And then just goes down and is gone. And I... Ice moves like tectonic plates sometimes, and it could have smashed together. Someone's told me that there's methane under the lake that can do that. Like, it comes up as one huge bubble. But uh, it it seemed like on those, like, nature documentaries when, like, a... Uh, a killer whale smashes through the ice yeah. to like grab something uh and then goes away that's that's what it's it felt like to us and we just like mm. freaked out and ran home uh <laughs> because like <laughs> i'm like well if it's going on that lake if something's popping up to grab things yeah if it's breaking oh, yeah. ice i mean just alone breaking ice um yeah. i i've i have fallen under the ice once in my life and i, I never again i never want that to happen <laughs> ever again so um well. Yeah, it was time to go then, but uh, but yeah, um, that's Champy. Um, it's uh, it's kind of just a, a beloved cultural icon. Um, uh, here uh, in Vermont, uh, where I work down in Burlington, uh, it's everywhere. You can't go anywhere without seeing Champy painted on something. Uh, Champy mm. is on the uh, um, like on the ferry system. They use Champy as like their 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 little mascot on everything and uh <laughs> it's like it's got a lot of documentation it's but not as much as other cryptids and yeah but i feel like you talk to anybody that isn't from like the north country like from up here and everybody's like what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and i was talking with dave about it a little bit earlier and he says it's 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 very similar to agapogo right um yeah. which is which is further north yeah. Yeah, so Canada. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe it migrates. Yeah. Who knows? But <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Yeah, <laughs> get a local cryptid. I know it, it, it's kind of like our own special little guy. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, I think that. So with just the, there's a lot of cryptids, and there's yes. there's some that are just more in. 
the media eye or in popular culture or they're just um of a time mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they'll be they're just i think they wax and wane in popularity oh um, yeah. depending on sightings or today there's just everyone has a, a camera you know mm-hmm. your, your phone everyone has a phone and your phone is a camera and it's it gets, gets uploaded to the web and it's just everywhere so anytime that there's some kind of little sensation it's it's viral but that also means it goes away quickly yeah yeah um but a lot of these have just enduring popularity because they're tied i think to a place Mm -hmm. so they're they're regional and then that yeah that engenders um comfort i think to people or mm. at least a sense of sort of com- communal ownership to where yeah. something that exists, it's like, that's our thing. Like, you know, we, that's yeah. local. That's for the us. The locals are aware of it. We know what to do with it. Yeah. 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 And it goes back a long, like a long ways. Um, there are like uh, recorded, uh, it's, it's spoken histories and stuff of Mohawk talking about hundred foot long serpents in the water mm-hmm. and things like yeah. that. Um, so it's, it's probably like the way things get bastardized over time and appropriated and just like taken in by whatever culture is there. Um, I think these stories just get kind of passed on to, yeah, be totally that comfort food for people around it. Well, not only that, but they get recontextualized. So you'll hear, you know, it's, it's telephone game of a Mm -hmm. thing, particularly if it's an oral history and, that'll get passed down like in a local community and then just recontextualize with whatever else is going on uh, culturally or in society. Mm. And it's like, yeah, some things become, you know, they're re uh, reinvigorated. Like they Mm -hmm. become relevant Mm. again uh, because something else just like sparked whatever that interest is or a sighting. You know, something happened in like the zeitgeist that's like, oh, that must be XYZ because, you know, great yeah. granddaddy or someone told me about this thing and this that's what this has to be because there's there's a specific mm. like framework for yeah. that in, in people's minds. I think a big reason that the Champy is not like a more wider known thing is because of how like benevolent it's like champy is a friend to all children like it is such like a there's no like horrible deaths associated with it there's been no shipwrecks because of it there mm-hmm. you know you're not missing hundreds of sheep uh <laughs> there's like you know it's just like whoever sees it it's just like it's like seeing a frog it's like oh my day's better i just saw something cool you know like yeah. it, it's it's never it's not like malevolent which i think those stories catch on and in the bigger broader imagination because you know fear travels faster and holds harder. Yeah, I wonder if it's also a sense of that that community that um something mm. is local so it's not really for outsiders and yeah. if there's not something in the news or in like the the greater public sphere, no one's going to come looking for it. Mm-hmm. And particularly yeah. if it's something that seems to be like an everyday thing, no one's like, "Oh, yeah, there there may be some tourism associated with it, but I think that's more niche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one comes here for champ. Yeah. Like it's yeah, it's ours. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
which means I think it lives it lives on a little longer, at least in our short-term popular culture. So it can have a historical record of something, but it's it's it doesn't have the value as like a commodity. It's right. now instead like a um like a touchstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's more yeah. it's more precious than something that's just marketable. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to find like media about it. There are like a couple books. Uh, most of them are out of print or like only available in local shops and stuff like that. And there's one movie um that it's called like Lucy and the Sea Monster or something that they like hmm. even like move away from the name. Uh and it's about like a girl and her grandfather trying to find it together. And um so it's like, yeah. No, no marketability. You're, you're absolutely right. There it moves moves far away from that because it uh, it, it it's not for that. Yeah, um, I, I know that there's some uh, other cryptozoologist books. Then I think there's uh, I want to say it's Lake Monsters mm-hmm. that has mm. indexed um, Champy, but. It's those are more in like encyclopedia entries versus like having a giant um historical narrative. Yeah. And this lake's got monsters, man. Like if you've ever seen like a muskellunge, especially a tiger, tiger musky, um, mm. those things can get just massive and they've got like teeth. Like tiger teeth. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. they, they they're just known for like just coming to the surface and just like taking a goose. And it, it's yeah uh scary <laughs> scary things uh yeah so. yeah we don't go in the water no <laughs> what's well, the no, thing i have no problem being in fresh water because <laughs> like there are way fewer uh like things that'll go after people in fresh water usually um than in salt water but maybe that's just because uh, i grew up swimming in these lakes and you know, it's whatever you're familiar with yeah um, yeah i go to the ocean yeah. i'm like no thanks nope nope yeah if oh, i can't God. see into it then I don't mm-hmm. want to be in it. Yeah, I I have a deeply culturally enforced and uh, evidence based philosophophobia. Uh, yeah, well, you guys have <laughs> jellyfish, man. Like a little the box jellyfish jelly. Aren't bad. That, yeah, the size the of jellies like, are further north. Octopus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh god! Every time. Right? Yeah. Every time I see someone on Instagram holding a blue ringed octopus, I'm like, oh, what my are you god. doing? Yeah. Please, I know it's pretty. Don't pick it up. It's pretty because it wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah the general rule of thumb for me is i'll go to a a beach as in a beach where people are always at because that drives away dangerous things otherwise no thank you yeah <laughs> what crocodiles stonefish um if you go further north there are irukandji which won't kill you it won't be fun um it's not great yeah yikes we guys have enough trouble with just your like flora oh my god yeah we'll do an episode on trees sometime i can talk about the suicide bush uh, which i think we, we brought up <laughs> that sounds friendly times. yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Nice. yeah. it's friendly we, if you we don't got, touch it we got tree yeah we got trees that are so determined to live that they're ready to kill everything around them the and then animals still eat them. Out there. Yeah. yeah. And then animals still eat them. It doesn't work. <laughs> we have yeah. to live with the consequences of a of a tree covered in tiny glass needles filled with neurotoxins. Jeez. <laughs> Again, it won't kill you, but man, you'll wish. 
Uh, yeah. I mean that's that's people or, or yeah. animals like yeah. animals. I mean, just see, like hot hot peppers. Like hot that's peppers. a defense mechanism. It's not yeah. Yeah. For, for consumption. It's like yeah, let's, let's eat some of that and then. But you can pull up a it. TikTok of a guy putting a Carolina Reaper in a vape pen, like right now, <laughs> and you know, like. It, it... Oh man! You should never aerosolize. <laughs> Don't aerosolize capsaicin, capsaicin. please. No, it's bad. Yeah. It's militaries do that kid. man <laughs> like yeah <laughs> oh there's another thing i didn't need to know could happen yeah but no it's oh, just yeah yeah no this, this is one people will not be consuming for their own twisted sense of pleasure anytime soon it's <laughs> it's, it's that bad except for that guy yeah except for that one guy except for that guy it, yeah that's just we're a very venomous country. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's going to be like two years and you're going to hear news reports like they call it needling and kids are doing it more often than you think. And there's going to be like Man. some kid with a needle in his forehead and he goes, it's the only way I, it makes the voices stop. And my parents stop fighting when I'm doing it. So I'm going to keep doing it. And man, I'm calling it. I'm, I'm yeah. calling it. <laughs> God, I really hope not. That that one's like the bad one. It It's. It's the needles get caught under the second layer of your skin, and then you can't get them out, and then they're activated by temperature. So water touching your skin reactivates the toxin, and the pain starts again. Australia is bad. Live in the cities. Cities are fine. We don't have those. (laughs) Just don't join a logging company, because that's a risk on the East Coast, apparently. Talk about aerosolized capsaicin, what happens when you put a chainsaw through a bush made of glass needles um <laughs> i bet yeah yeah anyway uh enough about terrible real things dave yeah <laughs> what what terrible uh, cryptid yeah, do you have for us hello yeah everyone knows oh, sorry the everyone knows camera. yes all, all respect to the goat sucker yeah <laughs> <laughs> a creation of the go-go 90s mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, El Chupacabra, which of our selection and of, like, many other cryptids, this is a newer uh, entry, and I I wasn't aware that, like, circa 1995 um, was the, can't really say discovery, but, like, the beginning mm. of the Chupacabra fervor. Yeah. Like, it yeah. hadn't really been a named or or really just a named entity yeah um, up until that point prior to that there were like just accounts of usually livestock like having turned up dead um and then just no real explanation like no nothing to point to like what did it we don't know um that is until uh we have kind of a mass hysteria so the sightings began in puerto Puerto rico in um august 1995 and they were sort of the the first eyewitness is madeline um tolentino she saw a chupacabra and gave like the definitive description of one And did she call it a chupacabra then? No. So I uh, I think a friend uh, is who who who. It's all apocryphal. Like there's no Mm -hmm. 
there's not a person that it's like attributed to like they they it, it's a case of like i came up with it oh no it was me is it a translatable name or yeah no it literally means just goat goat sucker <laughs> oh it literally means goat sucker all yeah. right yeah chup, chupa <laughs> chupa is to like suck on something and cabra is a goat mm. okay. yeah um, and there's other they're not not air friendly um things that you can combine with <laughs> some of those words yeah uh, <laughs> um so yeah she she saw it and gave the here's her 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 description so the chupacabra had dark eyes that went up to the temples and spread around the sides it was about four feet high, walked like a human on two legs, had thin arms and legs with three fingers and toes at the end of each limb, had no ears or nose, but instead two small air holes. And she noted what appeared to be feathers, spikes, or feathery spikes on the creature's back. And I, I've uh, so kindly, you can find this particular um, photo um, it's as an illustration um by uh uh Jorge Martin and that's like the the official uh, sketch of her her eyewitness testimony and it looks like a a gray man like an mm. alien but uh he's been given chicken hands and he has some <laughs> sort of pox on his body and sweet uh mohawk spike down his back it looks like someone had a creature, and then they just like it's wearing a gray man. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty mask. radical. It's like if like you, <laughs> like you went to some like con, and you just got your yeah. costume all mixed up with somebody else like the morning after, and you're just like, whatever, I'm this today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's a <laughs> not what I like had in my mind. If I think of Chupacabra, it's not that's it's not this guy. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um. After that sighting, uh, they it sort of like began to spread, and in um into Mexico, uh, in 1996, there was a team of scientific investigators that tried to um like figure out what was causing all of there's a bunch of cattle not cattle um sheep uh showing up dead like on their farms and horses so it was another case of like that's that just seems to be like livestock is what's keeps getting killed um mm. but uh these were uh particularly like attributed to uh wild um dogs and the the there's a quote from a um i think it's one of the police officers or it's a local yeah yeah it's a local um nope it's a reporter i'm not skeptical so the team uh staked out farmyards uh where the chupacabra had um, struck and then every time they they just found wild dogs like that was the, yeah. the culprit each time oh and a, a police official remarked I don't know about the rest of Mexico or the rest of the world, but here the goat suckers are just dogs. There's this huge psychosis you see it everywhere. <laughs> so, 
mean, at least he's honest about his uh, yeah. opinion on it. He's like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's just dogs, guys. Um, I'm sad I didn't show up with a cryptid that was just a dog that killed sheep like you guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't know you don't know what Champy gets up to. That's true. That's true. Maybe he's maybe he's crawling out, getting some livestock. It's just a dog in a mask. It's got yeah. some scoob, scoob gear on. <laughs> Scooby gear on. It's it's Scooby it's Scooby Doo. Yes. <laughs> oh god, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the, these oh. like these scattered reports continued, uh, and they just mm. got less reported um, in the intervening years, which is intervening like five years because the next big sighting um, was in two thousand and one. And mm. this is a rancher who heard uh, his dogs howling around midnight, or heard dogs, and he found 35 of his sheep dead, uh, entirely Whoa. drained of their blood from two small okay. bite marks on their necks. He he saw yes. no chupacabra, but he assumed it lurked nearby. Because mm. that's what you do, you just assume. And then we skip forward to March 2008. The chupacabra appeared in um, Champoton, Campeche, and eight hens and a turkey were killed when something arrived and sucked the blood from them and later escaped without leaving a sign. Uh, <laughs> no one got a good look at it. Um, the dead hens caused a panic, and people kept their livestock inside their homes to protect them. And they, they a mob was formed to try to hunt down the chupacabra. Um, on oh, poles and machetes uh, to catch or yep. kill it, and they, nothing, nothing came out of that. They didn't, they didn't get it. Um, we found footprints in Chile in April two thousand, and it, it turns out that um, the uh, footprints ended up being, I think, um, fabricated. Okay, and then, uh, yeah, in in Chile. Oh. The soldiers were said to have captured a chupacabra male, female, and a cub that had been living in a mine. And uh, these particular chupacabra were results of NASA scientists that had um, <laughs> been cre been creating some sort of hybrid um, to to allow it to survive on Mars. Uh, and th right. and that's the other thing. So. In general, um, the chupacabra itself is kind of it, it's it's given different attributions. So some yeah. people think it's a, a an extraterrestrial, and it's like it it, it was ET'd and just like left on in South America. What what part yeah. of this thing would allow it to live on Mars? Is it the spikes? Uh, I think it is the great little gray man face. That's got to be it, right? Like everything, the chicken feet, <laughs> eh, not really. You know, the the splotchy skin and hairy thighs, probably not. Yeah, um, well, that's that one incarnation. So some of the other ones look more like a kangaroo, and some have wings. I don't know how any of those would help it survive on Mars, but um, it, mm. it's it's its descriptions vary depending on like the region. <laughs> Oh, you work for NASA? What do you do? Genetics? I mean, space stuff? Yeah. Space stuff? <laughs> uh, some people think that it's a U.S. government um, genetics experiment. Uh, and then also this cool. could be the the hand of Satan creating 
<laughs> these devils upon the earth to, to plague mankind. Um, I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, poor knows those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the biggest thing is because the, the, the descriptions, uh, they don't really have a common denominator other than it's probably four to five feet tall. That's kind of it. Um, otherwise, it can be just a big mismatch, mm. like a hodgepodge of a bunch of different things. It's a chimera. Uh, and each of those things are flavored by local folklore. Yeah. So the odds of there being like a chupacabra, uh, very slim. Because there's yes. no like one account that's... Or, it's not corroborated by multiple accounts. Like each account is its singular thing. Like is the blood sucking like that's like a universal. That's the other. Um, so that's potentially um, part of the, the the relation on it. Um, and then I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. Um, the other thing. So the Puerto Rican uh, chupacabra. The the reports like why that even started in the first place is that um, potentially um, the chupacabra in Puerto Rico, where it was popping up all over the place, um, is due to starving mongoose. Oh. So in the early 1990s, the uh, the island experienced an explosion in the rat population, and as the rats became more common, they um, probably their, their chief predators the mongoose but i think that they were probably like i don't mm. i don't think they were imported but they're definitely probably bred to like deal with the rats but right. now mm-hmm. once they eat the rats something they've got to have something else so now they've just been attacking like livestock that makes sense and they got little yeah. tiny teeth and they may not be like draining the the livestock of full of blood but they may be biting them yeah and the other explanation for the bloodless bodies uh, is that in in general, if it's stray dogs that are doing the attacking, the the dogs aren't um, like they'll kill things, but they don't necessarily eat them. They'll just yeah. kill it. It's territory thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's happening is people aren't aware that like they just think oh the dog will feast on it and then it's just bitten up and that's not what that's not what they're seeing so why would it be like the dogs mm-hmm. and it's like yes if a dog just is if it's territorial or if it's just killing things uh, it's not they think that it's bloodless because there's not a lot of wounds on it yeah and the dog isn't biting into it so there's not blood it's not a big bloody mess it's not like a, a fox right. that went in and just started tearing up stuff uh so they're going oh it's bloodless but there's not like a autopsies being done <laughs> there's just just yeah people going oh my all my chickens are dead or something my chicken's out of juice yeah there's no there's no <laughs> juice in these chickens um so that that becomes part of like the lore like that's just already assumed that they're just not gonna have any blood, and then they don't see blood everywhere, and it was an attack, so that just becomes like an assumption. Like they're they're, yeah. they're reaching into it, and then so the actual um, issue with the 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 vampiric part of it, uh, some of this is due to folklore coming into. Um, 
the islands like mm. and there's like um uh afro-cuban afro-puerto rican um folklore coming in because there's there's like a specific um vampire-ish folklore um in africa so they're tracing it from there and the other part of it is going to be the large swath of indigenous folk uh rituals that are part of the um south american uh indian civilizations so hmm. the aztecs the mayans um uh um all of those cultures not all of them in large parts for a certain time uh sacrifice and uh blood rituals were like a thing like very um common yeah so sure yeah because of that blood it has always had like a heavy significance mm. and the the taking of blood so that's being woven in like that's, that's not really that's already existing in a lot of the societies yeah so they're taking like that lore and that historical precedence and like conflating it with wild dog attacks or mongoose like, anything that's popping up that's actually like affecting the wildlife mm. which since it's livestock it's affecting the people because that's like their their food right yeah. and their livelihoods and tack on to that uh, the effects of colonialism and that's putting an outside force that came in and took your stuff yeah yeah so those those things all together over time like that just be, it creates like a little perfect storm of oh we have all of these things in our uh, in our cultural like mind like that that that, that stuff's mm. all present and you have something weird going on so we need to blame something so we yeah. make up a story you know, we, we create a story of a thing that would make sense yeah. even if it's outlandish because you, you have something physically to blame it on yeah versus like oh some dogs yeah like that's boring and you didn't see them. It's always the answer. It's always dogs. It's always dogs. <laughs> it's always dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to um the the book um I I read uh which was um Tracking the Chupacabra, The Vampire Beast in Fact, Fiction, Folklore. It's by Benjamin Radford of the University of New Mexico. And that's a fairly recent edition. It was a 2011 book um and it's a university press so they put a lot of time and <laughs> the majority of the book is um it's not just like a research thing it's it's anecdotal mm. he went into south america and then was trying to track down the chupacabra himself yeah and then oh, wow. came up with like of course didn't find it um <laughs> but that put to like it was a it was a one of the first things to like gather all the little disparate parts yeah 
because everything else was sort of anecdotal yeah. and he needed like more firsthand experience to go, okay, what, what's the common thing happening here? But there, there, there isn't one mm. because it's all like localized. Yeah. So it turns into like, well, this is probably most likely a mis a mishmash of a bunch of things. And then a prompted like hysteria in the sense of something is popularized by like notoriety which we kind of talked about mm. and then other people are yeah. like oh yeah that must be what this is too or oh no all of my chickens are also dead it must be yeah 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 so that's the that's the most likely thing um mainly because all the sightings of the chupacabra are like not the same critter mm. like if they i think if they were more unified then there would be a better chance of it being a thing. It's like dog breeds. Yeah. They're all dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's just different uh, d- different breeds of chupacabra. Yeah, I got like the chihuahua it's, it's chupacabra. Like it's, yeah. It, yeah. Know, this is yeah. the mountain chupacabra. Here's yeah, the this lake. is the alpine chupacabra. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> this uh... one's far more furry. You must, you must live up in the Andes. <laughs> yeah, this is the river chupacabra. You don't want to mess with him. <laughs> The Amazonian chupacabra, yeah, don't do it. Oh yeah, coming for you. This has transmedia property written all over it. Yeah, if we were back in the nineties, man, we could market this so hard. <laughs> they could transform. They could do all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> I know. Oh goodness. So, as my other bit of research, um, I watched a a film, and this was a nineteen ninety seven film. So, I originally. I I picked the movie first and then I was like, Oh, I should probably get some actual research <laughs> stuff. Then rather than just looking at this movie. Uh, and I didn't realize how recent in time the movie came out with the, the Chupacabra fervor. Yeah. Hot of the heels, man. Like mm. right there. And uh, interestingly enough, the the movie itself was wasn't going to be called Guns of El Chupacabra. I think it was like G- Guns of Mexico or something. It was a different playoff of like Guns of Navarone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the director was on a road trip in Mexico, and they ended up um, seeing uh, something run across the road. And it caused like a car, a car crash. Mm. And they were told by their like tour guide or friend or something that was, oh, that was El Chupacabra. Like that's what almost killed you in the car. And so they just, they were like, well, that's, what is this? And then they just ran with it because it was everywhere at the time. They're like, yeah, "Yeah, we got, we got to like seize on this moment to make, you know, a movie. Um, so yeah, that's that's the story behind why they they just ended up making El Chupacabra or the guns of El Chupacabra. <laughs> the movie itself was horrendous. Um it is a terrible B movie in the yeah. way I can't even so the the director's um Don G Jackson his film company uh is uh, I think Zen Zen Productions or Zen Pictures. Yeah. And all of his stuff. It's like um 
Lloyd Kaufman. Mm. So it's like trauma films where it's all just like guerrilla, like ultra low budget filmmaking. Mm-hmm. But instead of yeah. like Lloyd Kaufman's Eye or Roger Corman, anything like that, where it's like you know B movie or B minus movie, uh, and it's made with like a passion for making movies, or maybe mm. <laughs> a cinematographic eye or understanding movie making in general. Um, Ed Wood's movies are better than this. <laughs> and Ed Wood's <laughs> movies are terrible. Uh, so, I guess I can sum it up saying that the, the Zen uh, filmmaking uh, ethos, like his mm. thing he does is making movies um, and making them fun, happy romps, but they need to be um, in the spur of the moment. So there's no script. Right. So because there's no script and I, I watched, I got about 20 minutes in and I was like, okay, there, there was a plot in the beginning. Like it told me a thing was going to happen. And then I don't know what's happening. I don't know who any of the characters are. I, there's not really any dialogue. It's just mm. like this, what it looked like happened was they, they just let the camera roll and then walked around. Yeah, and hoped a movie would happen <laughs> because there's no sense of like when you're making a film and you 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 yes you do shoot everything. It's not in sequence for one. You just you shoot on location or whatever's available that time. It's all mm. it's it's yeah it's shot. And then it's sewn back together and it's edited. Like all the movie making is in the editing room. Like you have to, you have to patchwork it together to make a usable something. This is what happens if you shot stuff and then just didn't do that. Yeah. I'm looking at this guy's (laughs) filmography right now. Uh, He worked with Roger Corman and James Cameron, which is crazy. But he did roller gator, man. Like that is, I don't know if you've ever seen that. I think, uh, mystery science or riff tracks one of those two no probably uh, i mean did, you could like, roller gator i can't say you could riff tracks this one maybe you I couldn't riff tracks that one either man roller gator was so bad that i'm like i can't even watch this with jokes on top of it it was yeah. just so, like it was like so... shot on like vhs and just like edit it just uh it was terrible yeah so and that this... was two years before guns of el chupacabra oh yeah. my god and, and, and apparently they made i think two and three like they kept going with this yeah two. Um, <laughs> uh the uh, subtitle for that one is the unseen yes guns. so uh, uh, and and then to put it into like perspective because the way that he's doing his movie shoots is this it took a year for him to shoot this one but he was doing other movies like concurrently because he just shoots everything all at once yeah he... so a yeah, lot of it lot looks of like he just plugged out. stuff from other movies together. Like right. he would just shoot whatever, and like now I made a movie out of it. Wow! And yeah, it, and I mean, he has um, it has Julie Strain and Robert um, Robert Zadar, man, who's yeah. great because that's he's, Maniac Cop. Yeah, he's amazing in everything. Yeah, so his <laughs> um of of any acting going on, um, the few times that he's on screen is like just chewing scenery, like it's he's and actor yeah. and everyone else looks like he just like hired him off the street mm-hmm. 
and yeah so it's it's just a it's a mess um the basic plot is uh and that like the opening bit was fine like if you had done something with it um would have been great so a space sheriff jack be quick is hired um to hunt down (laughs) z-man lord invader and his chupacabra (laughs) pets and he's he's hired by I don't remember what their names were. It's um, they're like the queen of the universe and Lord M- Multimedia or something. Like I'm not even kidding you. It's like they're <laughs> they're uh, the queen Julie Strain. Like the op- it opens up with her having like a prophetic dream of her battling. Um, I'm guessing it's supposed to be Z-Man Lord Invader, but I think it's from another movie. Yeah. Um. And she wakes up and she and she's like, Jack, Jack, Jack. And then her husband wakes up, Lord Multimedia, and he's like, What are you, Jack? What? She's like, Jack, be quick. We gotta hire him. <laughs> and they're like, Yes, Lord uh, Z Man, Lord Invader, uh, has gone to a backwater planet and he's loosed his chupacabra beast upon it. Um, so you need to go kill the beast and hunt and then he has a bounty on his head so go hunt him down too and the the, the rest of the movie is is theoretically the adventures of Jack B. Quick doing that task right but that's not what's not what happens no um, yeah there's a, so there's a chupacabra and hmm. to the it's not even the movie's credit. Um, accidentally, to the movie's credit, the Chupacabra costume looks mm. pretty much like the, the, an amalgamation of the Chupacabra like descriptions, aside from it being okay. like quite a bit taller. But otherwise, yeah. it's like it has the spikes. It's it's got no ears. It's kind of scaly. It's you could it's like Chupacabra. Yeah. Or it's the cockroach alien from Men in Black, but it's one of those <laughs> things. Um, it that's probably the best part of the movie, and then it turns out that that's that was like a pro, uh, a prop from another movie that um, didn't make it into production. That was like he just borrowed it. Mm. Hmm. I mean, yeah, get 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 your stuff from wherever. Um, but so in the. Yeah. Nothing to do with that, but in the finale of the movie, um, they kill the 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 chupacabra is in, like impervious to like bullets. It's not gonna hurt it. You need to shoot its heart with a an arrow of justice or something. So he just has a the dude has a bow. He shoots it full of arrows. But they just they actually shot the costume like without a person in it, but like pumped it full of arrows and then cut its head off with a um, katana. <laughs> Because he didn't want, like, the costume was really cool, and he didn't want it to, like, appear in another movie. <laughs> so he destroyed it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Taking my ball and um, going home energy. Love it. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the entire movie is, is oh, he he shot a lot of it um, in Southern California, and then I think in parts of Mexico. Um, but it's on, like, his buddy's ranch. So the ranch had a lot of land and they didn't have permits to like buy blanks. So they just had live ammo. Oh boy. Well, no, they, (laughs) all that meant was this just scenes of them shooting off screen at nothing. Right. (laughs) All the time. Like we got this range. We, I mean, this range, we just got to like 
use all these bullets we have. So it's just constantly them shooting at at. It's real weird. They're, they'll be walking. Fantastic. Yeah, they're walking and then like looking off screen and they'll just start shooting, and then they just then they keep walking. <laughs> and I was like, "What are they shooting at?" And then they do it a couple times, and it's like different characters, and there's not like you don't even are they together? Like what? There's no framing. It's just people walking. And it's like some other person you don't know walking. He has a gun and he starts shooting. Is he shooting at the chupacabra? What's going on? Like there's no, they didn't plan it out. Um, they just the, have guns. The more I read about this, the weirder it gets. It's Joe, so, Joe Estevez is in this. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's fine, but I don't think and, he's supposed to be in this movie. I think he's from another movie and they just probably. cut his scenes in. And Kevin Eastman, the guy who co-created the Ninja Turtles, is in this movie. Yeah, he's um, uh, Julie Strain's husband. Yeah. And, and uh, you could not find a more 90s man that can't act. Um, <laughs> uh, but he's, yeah, he's Lord Multimedia or whatever. It's amazing. He, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so much. And mm-hmm. Robert Zadar is giving his, like, maniacal overlord speeches and you could tell he's like reading off of like cue cards because Mm -hmm. they didn't have a script they just gave him lines it's like yeah Yeah, why not and he just gives i mean the speeches are good they're like ridiculous but his thing is he's been on earth for hundreds of years and he's like some his hunters or whatever like lost his pets which is the chupacabra and a a a gray man like they're both there Yeah, so instead right. of combining them, they like uncombined them. <laughs> and Chupacabra, like, he's eating animals, but also like wants to mate with a woman. So they just have just an excuse to have a bunch of like naked ladies. Yeah. Like in a yeah. cage. You're just like, what is going on in these books? <laughs> and they don't like explain, nothing's explained. And then eventually, halfway to the movie, like little title cards start popping up, like they're doing something with it. And it's like a title card pops up. Is it the, the the invisibility of Chupacabra? Um, and then it shows them shooting stuff again. So it's like the whole time you're supposed to go. So they're technically shooting at the invisible Chupacabra, I guess, mm. is what that's he decided that was what it was meant to be. <laughs> like afterwards, it's mm. it's such I can't even. Uh, I can't recommend it because it's very bad, but I can say like watch. Yeah watch the first like five minutes and you'll know exactly what the, the the movie doesn't change from that other than going bizarro but just mm. the opening thing is like okay like this could you could see like there would could be a movie here yeah. and then apparently they the second movie like provides some backstory but i wouldn't sit through that no and then i guess um jack b quick is like a recurring character through like a bunch of movies and it's, it's he gets knighted at the end of this one and he becomes like <laughs> something real weird all right it's like, that took you're, a turn you're yeah oh, he's like man. but it's not even like a regular title it's like now we are, um you're knighted and now you are sir lord dr blade master or something like it's, it's a long like multi not related title title mm. you're like okay good on and his first his first like his payment he's like what what do i get paid um for hunting down lord z man and they're like mm-hmm. you'll have you'll have an action figure 
like line, a line of action figures. What? <laughs> what? Wow. That, All yeah. right. And the movie, sure, the, thing is, the movie's like 90 minutes long. Yeah. It did it's not exactly need, it, need, it, it could have been like, yeah. it could have been like, mm, maybe 30 minutes is still being charitable. Like you could have kind of, if you had a script and like tightened this thing down, there, there's like, it, it goes meta, uh, three fourths the way through the movie. It turns out that the whole movie has been, the 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 filming of um a Jack B Quick uh space sheriff movie mm. and then everyone keeps dying on the set and then there's the chupacabra it's like what <laughs> is going on because it like oh, it it, it pulls back and shows the director and like the cameraman it's, it's, it was meta the whole what on earth no it, it was but then it wasn't because then it goes back into the movie <laughs> they were like oh this this is terrible we have to reverse time or something and then like it goes back to the movie and then he kills the chupacabra it's like what well, according to this unattributed quote it says it's fellini meets the cohen brothers in an acid tinged spaghetti western no n- none of none of that um, i wonder why that quote is unattributed <laughs> yeah that's for, like from the director Probably or, or, or Scott Shaw, the dude that plays. Um, so the movie itself was hard to find, um, but on YouTube, Scott Shaw, I think it's Scott Shaw. Um, mm-hmm. the, yeah, Scott Shaw. Yeah, he, he's so the writer. he's the guy that is. Um, he produ- helps produce it, but he's also Jack B. Quick. <laughs> yeah. Written by, produced by, starring Scott Shaw. Yeah, <laughs> and so his YouTube account is what like print. Like he he. Um, keeping the dream alive it. man yeah, yeah. keeping it alive he uploaded it um it's edited for youtube i say but um it's it's like full frontal nudity on mm. the women and there's some there's some like um sex scenes but they're they're so bonkers it's like very chaste it's it's not even skin max level it's like like nothing People are kissing, and then that's it. But it's it's montage with like weirdo like fight scenes. You're just like, what is going on? There's a luchador, and he's boxing another dude while the chupacabra's watching him. But then at the same time, he's also making out with like a reporter. It's like, what is happening? Mm. Like I turned on the subtitles because it was the um, auto translated, but they they use that for the transcript on like the the video upload right it's like you you probably could have just i mean i guess there's no script i guess you couldn't have uh used that to like mm. correct this it is it's so trippy the, i mean the one thing is like yes the chupacabra stuff is like correct to the lore like they they did that much diligence mm. and then they just they already had a they they had a movie that they were going to do and then they just built it around the new concept of the chupacabra that popped up yeah yeah they uh they said they just completely changed it i'm on the wiki here 3.2 million dollar budget first of all how on earth i (laughs) um that may have been in the bullets yeah yeah (laughs) bullets alone that's there's there's no there's um i don't know what they would have spent the money on there's like other than it took a year to shoot this because they were shooting yeah. everything else, so their budget's probably that's probably accounting for like the other movies that happened at the same time. 
Wow, that's insane. Or paying like Robert Zadar. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and mm. Julie Strain. Like Can I talk about this filmography for just a second? Because there's there's yeah, a through line I mean, here that I'm seeing uh that is I I need to know the bottom of this. So in nineteen eighty six, uh Donald G. Jackson makes a film called Rollerblade. Uh it's a red link on Wikipedia, so I can't tell you anything about it. Um, in mm-hmm. 1990, he makes Rollerblade Warriors Taken by Force. In 1991, he makes Rollerblade 7. In 1992, he makes The Legend of the Rollerblade 7. And then uh, no more Rollerblade movies for a long time until... Uh... Oh, no, wait. There's another one. 93, Return of the Rollerblade 7. <laughs> and then all the way to Rollergator in 96. Um, I'm not sure what how he got so obsessed with Rollerblades. I need to know. He saw Prayer of the Roller Boys and thought it was the coolest thing ever. I guess so. And the most recent film he's made, uh, he's passed. Yeah, he passed in. Uh, he passed away. Yeah. yeah. In 2002, the last movie he made was called Max Hell Frog Warrior. Yeah. So um, the, the, the costumes that um, uh, Robert Estevez um, is wearing is like yep. um, Return to. Yeah. It's um, uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Or a return to yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it the the aesthetics he's going for, or like mm. is dealing in. I'm I, I'm there for it. If if this was a competent, like if there was a script and a storyboard, something like the bare minimum of like making a movie, this mm-hmm. would have been fine for like a, a schlocky B movie. Like the, yeah. they have. A really good suit, like that looked good. The the gray man that looked stupid, but um, this I mean they had an this could have been like um, they could have done El Santo versus El Chupacabra. Like I would have watched that, because mm. that's like in a stat. I mean they probably would have had to get rights to El Santo, but um, something like that, like the luchador versus El Chupacabra, and just like do a you know it's it's. You know it's Elsando. Yeah, it sounds like there's too much and not enough all at the same time. There, there's so they just threw everything. Yep, everything at the the. So um, but being in the heyday of like the Chupacabra wave, um, Mm. made that part of it like. I can't say that it's worth watching for that um, because I can just tell you that, yes, the Chupacabra looked like it's supposed to, even though it's probably some alien from something else. They just happened to find a thing that looked, yeah, that looks really good. Um, and it did the stuff they had. Uh, so, yeah, what I did like, and I think is it, it gets panned for, is there's, a, there's a, like interviews like spread out throughout the movie where there's a yeah. like story of a, a, a people trying to find out about the Chupacabra. So it's like a little, you know, a low a local media. And a, there's some other, there's two media things, I think, like going on doing interviews. But the interviews they're doing sound like what you would get from the Chupacabra stuff. Like they're, they're talking to farmers and to just the locals and they get, there was a car accident and then the, the Chupacabra ran across the road and, oh, all my, um, all my sheep have died and it it's coming after my horse. And like it, it, it that, that part's mm. while they sound hokey, they sound authentic to like what was going on 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I, I see what you're doing. You're like getting inspiration from the things that's happening around you. And you're weaving that into your potluck movie. Mm. And it, it works if it wasn't in this movie. Like each of the each of the individual pieces are kind of okay, but they did not ever need to touch anything else. <laughs> like they didn't need to be combined at all or mm-hmm. be near each other. It's like it's like there's like seven different movies here and they're just jammed together. Like I was here for the fight the the space because it's like is this going to be a space opera? What is this? Sure. And then mm. fly to Earth in your um Camaro whatever it's like okay <laughs> here's your here's your your um powerful samurai sword he's like oh yes my samurai sword and he's wearing like a black um the thing is this this movie came out you know in the 96 or 97 so it everyone's wearing like trench coats yeah and sunglasses well, and it's like cool. it's, it's pre-matrix stuff but it's also pre-columbine stuff so it's a different like i, I the dude yeah. the, the the jacket that Robert Zadar's wearing in this, oh, I had in high school. <laughs> I had buddies with that same jacket. Yeah, like yeah. it has like it's 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 like the Undertaker jacket. It's like mm-hmm. the, the big long trench, but it has like shoulder pads. Oh yeah, it's a cool jacket. <laughs> I mean, but it's definitely like circa nineteen ninety six. Oh, it's like, very dated. Yeah, I yeah. just found the the cover art here, and the tagline is uh, one space sheriff, one bloodthirsty monster, and one million bullets." So yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's not a lie. <laughs> they <laughs> that's why had one. They just they had were, a million they, they had, bullets. I mean, they had fully automatic or semi-automatic. Like they were shooting three point two million dollars worth of bullets to shoot bullets. Here. They they were there, there's ten minutes of them just shooting. It's all on bullets. screen. <laughs> all that money's all right on screen. So I was like, I was like, that sounds real. That doesn't sound like blank. I'll go. Like, oh, yeah, it's not. They're, those aren't blanks. That's actual. They're just shooting off into the thing. It's just, man, yeah, it's a bad movie. Oh, I was, I was so excited. Um, there's another movie. There's multiple um, El Chupacabra movies, and I really wish I'd watched one of the schlocky ones. I know are bad, but mm-hmm. they're like bad on purpose, or it's it, it's yeah. genre trappings. Not this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's the the Chupacabra. It's it's there's more and more interesting other movies of this. Uh, yeah, I I I was really surprised that it's such a recent um, cryptid. Like I, I yeah. definitely mm. did not expect yeah. that. I thought it was gonna have like some legs, but I was like ninety five. Okay, like I don't remember that. I don't remember that being a thing. Um, that that was when I was like in high school, but I. Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, the I I had internet, but at that time it was like AOL, or Netscape dial-up yeah, stuff. So was like, no, there, there was no wasn't, keyword. There wasn't Chupacabra. social media. It was just like you Googled or not you you AOL searched. Mm. I was like, yeah, th- there was no websites to go. Like maybe a BBS or something. I don't know how you would find out about El Chupacabra because it wasn't on the TV. Like wasn't on the news. So no. Like you would have had to have been like if I w- I was in Oklahoma, <laughs> so had I been in maybe California, then you would have like this would have been a thing or New Mexico or something, mm. or maybe even maybe even in Texas. I don't know. I don't know if I'm I'm, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's um I had more I had a lot more fun reading the the book 
and then just like digging around and seeing that there's really there's not very much scholarship at all or or even just cryptozoology books on algebra there's not it's like there's no research being done like that's that's why like this 2011 one is like an amalgam of a bunch of books like he, he took it's a lot of pull quote pull pull quotes from other um uh, cryptozoologists and then mm. it's him going and doing his own like primary research i mean i think he went to argentina hmm. so it's it's interesting in that like the, the book itself i recommend that um if if you're interested in el chupacabra that has like a the, the most uh facts you're going to get yeah yeah definitely not this movie um don't go <laughs> around for guns of el chupacabra you will be sad sorry yeah all right, Cameron, lead us home. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online in various places, primarily on Twitter, while it remains. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten. That's night without a K. Uh, come for the occasional photo of my cat, who has just now started looking like she's going to start making noise at me. Hey, baby. Um, where can we find you online, Matt? Uh, yeah, sure. My credit card number is a three one five. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I am uh, the ugly machine. Pretty much uh, everywhere, mostly on Twitter, all one word. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's also a Tumblr that I use as a portfolio for now. Um, I mostly post. Uh, I make a lot of art. Um, metal art, glass art, um, painting, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so uh. Yeah, don't be a stranger. Say hi. Mm. Dave, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at sentinot underscore plus. You can find the podcast at mon underscore d monster. And you can find Leonard uh, on Twitter and on YouTube. So if you search Dr. Faust is dead, you'll just find him in most places, as well as Umbernox Productions uh, for his um, film and video game related uh, projects. Mm. excellent well that's where you can find us I hope you enjoyed the episode because we certainly did Uh, (laughs) join us next week until then goodbye everyone bye bye folks see ya Monster Dear Monster is brought to you by Fireheart Media if you enjoyed the show please share this and all of our episodes with friends And remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. Word of mouth is the only way we grow. If you like, you can also kick us a few bucks to help us keep the lights on at ko-fi.com slash fireheartmedia. Check out our other show, Jalachan's Place, at www.jalachan.place.